Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Book Burners, Episode 7. One. Browsing Asante's library by herself was Sal's new favorite hobby. She had never seen a place like this, though it reminded her most of a moldy old library relatives had shown her in Savannah, Georgia, with humidity-damaged first editions of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Gone with the Wind and A Christmas Carol. Her team kept suggesting she should relax between missions. She really didn't need to be at headquarters sitting around, they said. Why didn't she enjoy Rome when she had the chance? But in a city where she didn't speak the language and had few, all right, the number was closer to zero, friends, Sal had nothing to do. There was only so long she could read, listen to music, and lie over Skype to friends in America about her life in Rome. At least here in the library, she could learn something, or maybe run into a team member and have a real conversation. Sal used to think stakeouts were bad. Lots of sitting in cars that reeked of cigarettes, lots of shitty coffee, lots of fattening foods. Five minutes of action, then more sitting. This job, thankfully, didn't involve sitting around in cars, but waiting for demon attacks made stakeouts feel like bird watching, which, to be fair, Sal also hated. And the waiting. The waiting made her as tense as a guitar string. Sal would definitely be an E string, her spine taut and tingly, ready to spring into action. But when there was no action, the tension became exhausting. Griping about boredom did, however, allow her to pointedly not think about Liam. Her stormy emotions after their night together had nearly been overwhelming. Liam left quietly in the night, much to Sal's relief. The sex had been phenomenal, no doubt about that, both times. But had she been with him just because he was the only person on the team she could relate to? And had he been drawn to her for the same reason? He clearly had some issues with Grace, the only other member of the team close to his age that he could maybe have something in common with. Then there was the question of his faith. Liam was no priest, and they'd never talked much about faith beyond his jokes and the job's requirements. But in the dark bedroom, she'd seen his body covered with ecclesiastical tattoos, saints and knots and thorns and blood. What did that mean? 
Could the man who'd marked himself like that walk away from casual sex with healthy feelings? Sal did not look forward to that conversation. Or any conversation, really. Perhaps if she pretended nothing happened, he would too. Sal browsed Asante's books, careful to keep to the open area of the library and not edge into the locked rooms where the seriously dangerous books were kept. She couldn't help but think it would be fascinating to go into the forbidden rooms, but she had enough to keep her busy in the allowed section. She thought of them as Asante's books, which seemed odd. They definitely didn't belong to the archivist. If anything, they were closer to her prisoners than her children. But Asante seemed to have a different view of the books than the others. As far as Sal was concerned, there was only one way to look at these horror movie props that had complicated, ruined, and taken so many lives. Wandering the library, Sal tried to determine what ancient language the books were written in. Then she would try to figure out Asante's cataloging system. Sometimes books with the same languages were shelved together. One section consisted entirely of green books of the same shape, like an ancient encyclopedia said. Another had one shelf holding books, and then the shelf underneath was empty, and then the third shelf had books again, and the next shelf was empty. Not all the books were shelved, either. Stacks of books, some of them eight feet high, created labyrinthine walkways, making Sal feel very young as she lost herself among the strange books. She wished Asante would give her some hints as to what these books were. But as much as the team encouraged her to relax in the off hours, they each seemed pretty busy with their own things all the time. Asante seemed to be in the library whenever Sal was in there. Despite telling anecdotes of her large family, she didn't appear to see them much. Surely she had her own place, but Sal had never heard about it. Manchu was always bustling about, looking very busy on his way to or from something. Grace was simply not there. Sal only saw her when they had a mission or a meeting. Liam constantly seemed to be searching for one thing or another online. Busy people. And then there was Sal. As if she heard Sal's lonely thinking, Asante entered the library, swearing loudly in French. Sal assumed it was swearing, based on the vehemence and the stomping. She began to rummage through her desk drawers, fishing out a dull pencil and making notes on a scrap of paper. I can't understand French, but I have a feeling I should be offended, Sal said mildly as she emerged from the stacks. Is everything all right? Everything is fine. It's always fine. We chase the demons, we get the books, we shove the books, we save the day. Every day is sunny here, Asante snapped. She finished writing and stared at what she had written, her dark face going ashen. I may be making a jump here, but you seem very not fine, Sal said. What's going on? Do you want to talk about it? No, no, Asante said, tossing the paper to her desk. I'm going away for a few days. Uh, Manchu has the care of the library. Where are you going? Sal asked, edging closer, as if Asante were a bomb that Sal had to defuse. She had never seen the archivist this agitated. She reached her hand out to pull a tissue from Asante's desk. Asante looked up, her cheeks glistening with tears. You ask a lot of questions. Sal nodded unapologetically. It's my job, hard to turn off. She waited. Asante sighed. An old friend has died. I'm going to his funeral. Sal handed Asante the tissue without speaking, and the archivist took it with a word of thanks. When she wiped her eyes, Sal glanced at what she had been scribbling. They looked like the coordinates that Asante received from the orb when it alerted her to demonic activity. How long will you be gone? Sal asked. 
Asante sniffled, then folded the tissue into a square and stuck it into a pocket in her black pants. A few days, at most. Uh, travel, the funeral, and I have to help his niece get his affairs in order. Asante was looking down at her desk. Then she sighed and looked Sal in the eyes. You may as well know. The old friend is my mentor, the man who recruited me to this job so many years ago. He retired to Glasgow. His name is, uh, was, Father Seamus Hunter. We've remained close after he left. I'm so sorry, Sal said. Can I do anything while you're gone? I'm sure you can, Asante said absently as she tidied her desk, sliding a magazine over the scrap of paper with the coordinates. Thank you for listening. I must go back now. She turned, the corner of her purple tunic catching some papers on her desk, spilling them to the floor. I got it. Don't worry about it, Sal said, putting her hands on Asante's shoulder to keep her from bending down to clean up the mess. Asante gave her a grateful smile and swept from the library. Sal bent and began gathering the papers. Most of them were in Italian or French, but the coordinates were in numbers, and those Sal could read. Chewing on her lip, she thought for a moment, then folded the paper and stuck it in her back pocket. Grateful that Liam wasn't in his computer lab, Sal booted up the laptop and logged on as Rival Dog. Liam had set up the guest partition on his computer when the others complained that they needed to use his machine sometimes. The order had computers, but they were quite old. Liam's personal laptop was portable, and he was always tinkering with it to improve it. The guest login had limited abilities, but at least Sal could get online. The username convention had been Grace's idea, Sal had learned, in poking fun at Liam's desire to mark and guard his territory. Sal searched for the coordinates, and Glasgow came up. Not surprising her at all, though apparently the orb hadn't been feeling cooperative enough to provide a street address. Time to play Liam. A search on Glasgow produced millions of links, with the top hit being a Yelp review of a restaurant. This'll on the moor. She tapped a pen on the table, trying to figure out why Asante got incoming information from the orb, but felt the need to lie to her, and presumably, the team. A lie of omission, but still. Asante had been with the organization longer than anyone. She would be the last person Sal would think would betray them. Sure, she had her differences with Manchu, but so did they all. Manchu had not been pleased when Sal had finally gotten him aside long enough to explain about the mysterious Aaron. Sal did not have a lot of room to point fingers at Asante for withholding information, she realized. But she was still burning with curiosity. She'd made it this far, trusting her gut. And her gut was telling her to find out what Asante was hiding. And anyway, she didn't know for sure that Asante hadn't told the rest of the team the truth. Sal could easily have been left in the dark simply because she was the newest. It could be a matter of Asante not trusting Sal, not the rest of the team not being able to trust Asante. Sal left the browser open, and the paper with the coordinates stuck underneath the laptop. She took a deep breath and stood. She needed to talk to her teammates, and she needed to deal with the most uncomfortable first. Sal sent a text to Liam, asking to meet him at a coffee bar near her apartment. Sure thing, give me 45, came the immediate response. 45 minutes was enough time to see Manchu in the interim. Come in, Manchu called from his room after Sal knocked. Sal had seen his door when she'd been given the tour, but had never been inside. 
Manchu lived in Spartan quarters that seemed to better fit poverty-focused Franciscans instead of the wealth on display at the Vatican. He had a simple single bed against the far wall, a bedside table with a lamp and a notepad, a dresser, and a desk. At the foot of the bed was a wooden trunk with a large lock. Beside the desk was a bookcase packed tightly with both dusty old books and a few newer tomes on religion and mythology. Lying atop the bookshelf, as if it didn't belong, was a current mystery novel by an author whose name Sal recognized. One moment, Menchu said, hunched over a book. He gestured to the room vaguely. Make yourself at home. On the dresser were many pictures of the team through the years. Younger Menchu and Asante with some older people Sal didn't recognize. Newer pictures of Liam and Grace looking as if they, well, at least Liam, had just come from a workout or a rough assignment. Liam with a swelling bruise on his jaw and his hair must, and Grace, pristine as ever. One photo caught Sal's eye near the edge of the photographs of Asante, Grace, and Manchu. They stood in front of a pyramid in what looked like South America, the sun rising over their shoulders. Asante and Manchu looked much younger, but Grace looked the same. Where was this taken? She asked, picking up the frame. Peru, he said, not looking up. Two years ago, he added as if anticipating her question. Liam showed us the amazing wonders of Photoshop to erase some of the years wear and tear. Sal quirked an eyebrow. Manchu was giving an awful lot of information that she hadn't asked for. She wondered if he were protesting too much. Oh well, one mystery at a time. The team leader looked up from reading his hefty tome and smiled. What can I do for you? I heard about Asante's mentor, she said, figuring it was best to stick with the truth as she tried to pull information from him. Ah, Father Hunter. He closed the book, marking his page with a red velvet ribbon. Yes, she's quite broken up about it. They were very close. Closer than the two of you? Sal asked. I mean, you two seem united against the world. Manchu chuckled, a slight tone of bitterness touching his tone. Oh, yes, he recruited her. Unlike everyone else currently on the team, Asante was not conscripted after a violent or frightening incident, manufacturing intense loss. She was eager to learn about the wonders of magic, and he took her under his wing. He rubbed his face and thought for a moment. Father Hunter retired some time back, and I took over the team. I don't think Asante has ever forgiven me for not being him. Sal frowned. That doesn't make sense. He retired. Someone had to take his place. That's not your fault. Most emotions aren't logical, he said. We get along fine now, but she took some time to acclimate to my position. Sal chose her words carefully, looking at the picture of Asante and Manchu on his dresser. She's been on the team longer than any of you. Manchu paused. You could say that, he finally said. So it's safe to say that she loves this organization, Sal continued. Manchu chuckled again. I'd go so far as to say she probably loves it too much, he said. Sal put down the frame and faced Manchu. What do you mean? Surely you've noticed. Her view of magic isn't the same as ours. Our jobs here are to find, neutralize, and contain magic. But once we contain and shelve them, and we are officially done with the job, 
Asante's curiosity can get the better of her, and she continues to research. It's within the safety of the archives, which is heavily protected, but she still approaches our horrors with interest and wonder. She insists knowledge is vital to understanding, but she doesn't have enough caution. So she's not as scared as the rest of you, Sal said. As you say. But you trust her? She asked finally. Of course I do, he said, frowning and tilting his head at her. We risk our lives for this job. When we don't trust each other, that's how people die. Sal nodded. When will she be back from the funeral? I gave her three days, Tops. I'm keeping an eye on the orb in the meantime, in case the world decides to catch fire, he said, glancing at his huge tome. In fact, if you'll excuse me, I need to finish my reading here and then get to her desk. Thanks for your time, Sal said. Do you know if Grace is around? I wanted to ask her something while I was down here. Manchu didn't look at her, instead focusing on his book again. I don't recommend it. Uh, she's resting and doesn't like being interrupted during her private time. Sal checked her watch. It's almost noon, she said. Grace is a bit of an introvert. She doesn't spend a lot of her downtime with the team. Ask her whatever you like when you next see her, but don't seek her out when she doesn't want to be found. The voice was still friendly, but Sal could hear the commanding undertone. Don't mess with Grace, got it, she said to herself as she shut the door behind her. That left Liam, meeting her in half an hour. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Drinking two espressos was a bad idea. 
Sal didn't know why she felt the need to drink coffee when she was nervous, but that's what happened. When we don't trust each other, that's how people die. The underlying message was clear. Don't hide things like Aaron from the team again, Sal. She didn't regret hiding it, but she did regret the effect it had had on Menchu's trust of her. The impending talk with Liam wasn't helping her nerves, and she was about to order a third espresso when he showed up two minutes early. Her hands trembled slightly as he sat down. He held himself stiffly, sitting upright in his chair. How are you, Sal? He asked, sounding painfully formal. The guy needed something to put his mind at ease. I'm good. Are you all right? You look a little rigid. Bruised rib? Liam relaxed a fraction. I worked out with Grace last night. It was more rigorous than our sparring bouts tend to be. My ribs will remember it. Sal felt odd thinking of Grace and Liam together, sparring, sweating. She rooted around in her backpack and pulled out some painkillers, putting them on the table between them. Liam took the bottle without comment and shook out two tablets, then handed it back to her. Thank you. Casually pushing aside the giant elephant in the room, Sal said, did you hear Asante's mentor died? Liam's eyebrows shot up, shock evident on his face. Uh, no, I hadn't heard that. They were quite close. She terribly broken up about it. Yeah, actually, Sal said. It worried me. I couldn't ask her about it and felt too personal. So I wanted to ask if you knew anything about him. Liam smiled, a lopsided grin. You couldn't ask her, but you didn't mind nosing around behind her back. Sal shrugged, not feeling guilty. I'm a detective. Sniffing out information is something I can't very well stop doing. I don't think I should be ashamed for wanting to spare her feelings, but I still want to understand my new team. Asante and her mentor were thick as thieves, as people say, Liam said, finally relaxing a little. He met her eyes in little flicks, not avoiding her, but not holding her gaze for too long. They were a pair who actually enjoyed the work here, not in the righteous evil fighting way. Which is the way you enjoy it, Sal interrupted. Too true, he said. Most of us, I would say. They saw each mission as a sort of exciting treasure hunt. Asante has never respected what we do as having the danger that it does. She's her own worst enemy, I'm sure. One of these days, she would be more interested in studying a book than containing it, and that could be the end. Of what? Her, us, everything. Take your pick. The waiter came to their table. Sal ordered a decaf coffee, and Liam ordered an espresso. She mulled this new information over. You sound like you don't trust her. Liam frowned and sat back, crossing his arms. A moment passed before he said, I worry about her passion for the dangers we unearth. She sometimes seems like a curious child poking a stick at a snake. But no, I do trust her. She served the team longer than any of us. If she was gonna screw up, she would have done it by now. We just see things differently. He looked around the bar, uncomfortable and tense again. I think fear is good. It keeps you sharp, keeps you on the lookout for the nasty things that can kill you. I just wish you were more afraid. Sal nodded slowly. Their drinks arrived, and they sipped them in silence. Sal put some money on the table, frowned at it, counted in her head, and then put a little more down. Liam smiled at her. You'll get the hang of it. I hope so. I think I tipped the waiter 100% the other night. And you guys don't even tip here, let alone that much. 
I think he thought I was inviting him home with me. Liam colored, and Sal fought to keep herself from rolling her eyes. This boy was too sensitive. She cleared her throat. Anyway, I hope nothing happens while Asante's gone. It's pretty clear we need her, whether incautious or not. Liam sat up straighter and looked at her expectantly. I'll see you around. I have some things I have to look into, she said, and got up, smiling weakly. Right, he said, looking at his half-empty cup. Thanks for the coffee. See you around. That hadn't been awkward at all. Sal gritted her teeth as she walked back to her apartment. The discomfort with Liam had to be put aside for now. Something had lodged in her brain, something from her web search, and she had to figure out what it was. Back in her apartment, she turned on her computer and opened a browser. She put Glasgow into Google and swore when the results came up. The top hit was a restaurant review. Who would search for Glasgow restaurants over searching for the city itself? The second top hit, a review. Third, a restaurant review. Same restaurant every time. The Wikipedia entry for the city didn't even show up until page two. The official Glasgow website came up on the third page. Now it was officially weird. Sal chewed on her lip a moment, then checked flights to Glasgow. She sent a quick text to Liam, then she called for a car to take her to the airport. Two. Sal didn't like traveling without her gun. She would never admit it, but dealing with the fact that monsters and magic were real was a little bit easier than dealing with the fact that few people in Europe carried firearms. Not even the police in some countries. And since she wasn't officially police anyway, she couldn't get away with it. She certainly couldn't travel internationally with a gun. Her toothbrush, though, they couldn't take that from her. And she could fashion that into a shiv if she absolutely needed to. If the demons would give her just a few minutes to shave it down, and time to find something to shave it with. As her taxi pulled up to the terminal, she thought back to her days in college, working at West Park's Extreme Cuisine at the foot of the Slippery Bunny Ski Slope in Vermont. It served fancy fusion cuisine for a clientele of hungry skiers who would rather spend $15 on a burger than $20 on salmon filet with dill sauce. She worked only during ski season, but Sal had learned more about crowd control from her few months as a hostess there than in her time at the police academy. Restaurants were weird, and it was very weird to see one dominating searches for Glasgow. Distracted by her thoughts, Sal didn't notice Asante waving at her until she was nearly past the woman who waited in the ticket line. You took much longer than I expected, Asante said, frowning. Well, the traffic was, wait, Sal asked, blinking at her. You're not surprised to see me? You have an intense desire to learn the truth, do you not? Sal felt like she had been caught doing something naughty. Well, yes. I knew you would follow to find out more. You're not the only one who is skilled at reading people, Asante said. She handed Sal a boarding pass. Here's your ticket. Let's go. Asante's mood was on much more solid ground now, and she seemed her old, stoic self. I'm glad you're nosy and can't leave anything alone, she said as they walked toward their flight. Sal grinned at the backhanded compliment. You deliberately manipulated me into coming. That's impressive. Yes, Asante said. My face isn't always in those books. I'll have to be more careful around you, Sal said, only half joking. 
The tickets were for first class, and Sal soon found herself in an unfamiliarly cushy chair with a vodka tonic pressed into her hand. I need backup, Asante said after they took off, speaking softly. I couldn't ask the others. No one else would understand. Understand what? Asante spread her hands over her tray table as if the answers were written on her wrinkled dark skin. Father Hunter didn't retire, as most people consider retirement. He and the Order agreed mutually on his departure. He'd had enough of the politics and the rules, and they'd had enough of his, as they said, cavalier attitude toward his work, as if it were a sin to enjoy your calling. This fit with what Sal had been told, but the retirement issue was new. So he quit and moved back home? Asante nodded. His sister had died a few months before, and her young daughter had no other family. So it worked out. He went back to Scotland to raise her. He adores his niece. You're not going there just for the funeral, Sal guessed. Asante looked out the window at the rapidly retreating city. Magic, everything we do in the Order, was amazing to him. He saw it as God's greatest gift to us, and it was our duty to him to learn as much as we could about it. Father Hunter even saw it as our next evolution. If we or our children or our grandchildren could learn as much as we could about this wonder, we would be evolving, be closer to God. That's a different perspective than any I've heard since I joined this happy family, Sal said. Asante smiled sadly. He was the only one who saw it that way. He taught me to see it through his eyes, and I did for some time. But I have seen a lot of horrible things as well, and never became as idealistic as he is, was. Sal thought back to the few horrors she had seen thus far, and of Perry sleeping away in the bowels of the Vatican. Father Hunter never saw it as evil. Never? From what I've seen, magic hurts a lot of people. Asante turned back to her, looking more energetic. He saw power as a tool. A hammer or a scalpel is useful in the hands of a carpenter or surgeon. But if you give a toddler either of those, it will almost always end in disaster. We are the toddlers, and magic is the tool. But Father Hunter wanted us to eventually become the carpenters and surgeons. Sal dropped her tray table to accept another vodka from the flight attendant. I want to believe you, and it sounds great, but... I just keep thinking about Perry. That shit was not good magic. I said Father Hunter's view was idealistic. What he could never figure out was how to make us grow from toddlers to adults without ending the world. We don't have someone experienced to show us how to use these tools. That's what we need. Then maybe we're focusing on the wrong thing, Sal said. Asante regarded her. That's a good point. The only problem is we're usually too busy cleaning up messes to actually learn much. We only hear about them after they cause damage. Sal took the opening. That's the other reason we're going to Glasgow, isn't it? I saw the coordinates you got from the orb, Asante. What else is going on? Asante put her hand on Sal's. What I'm about to tell you could cause a great deal of harm. It could get me fired. It could get Father Hunter posthumously excommunicated. It's the reason I chose to deal with this without the whole team. Can I trust you not to tell the others? Sal nodded. All right, I can't promise anything. If things are truly terrible, the team needs to know. But if I can, I will keep it between us. 
When Seamus left the order, he took a keepsake, a book. Sal shook her head as if she didn't hear correctly. He took what? His position was a sort of combination of my own and Manchu's, both team leader and archivist. He would contain the books and shelve them. Sometimes he would read them. One day we had a mission to recover a book that he swore was good. It was an easy mission, one of the easiest I can remember. No one got hurt, no one fought. The book did no harm, but we took it in anyway. He knew the book hadn't hurt anyone, and so Father Hunter wanted to study it. He assured me it held benevolent magic. When he left, he didn't want his studies to end because he was no longer part of the order, so he took the most passive book he knew of. He kept me apprised of his use of the book and what he learned, and I kept his secret and covered up the missing book by doctoring the files. How do you know he was telling the truth? Sal's voice was hard and rushed as she tried to avoid raising it on the plane. He could have been possessed and lying. Asante looked at her coldly. He was my mentor, Sally. I know. Sal rubbed her face and sat back and sighed. All right, someone who may or may not have been a toddler was running around with a scalpel. Then the toddler died. What happened then? Asante took a sip of her tomato juice. That's where the details get fuzzy. He was supposed to will the book to me. The plan was for me to come to his funeral and bring it back to the order. But the orb fired after he died. Someone's using his book instead of packing it away for you, Sal guessed. Asante nodded. Something must have gone wrong, so I have to retrieve it. What did it do? He never would tell me. We talked about things on a larger scale, how he had managed to contain the magic within it to focus on a good cause. He was so excited about it. And it was such a nice change to talk to someone who wasn't absolutely convinced that magic is 100% evil. God, Asante, I can't believe you put yourself in this position, Sal said looking up at the flight attendant button and contemplating another drink. As I said, the other options are excommunication and termination, of employment, if I'm lucky. Asante said and winced. Can I count on you? Sal closed her eyes. If you're not the one holding the book right now, we have to look to the next person closest to him. I guess we're going to start with this niece of his. He lived with her above her business in Glasgow. I have the address. Then we head there, Sal said. Raisin for visits in Scotland, the customs official asked. She was a pale, bored-looking woman of about 60. A funeral of an old friend, Asante said, presenting her passport. Same, offered Sal. And nothing to declare, she said, wishing again there was a way to take her gun easily from country to country. The lady smiled suddenly and said as if she hadn't heard the word funeral, I hope you enjoy your stay. If you have a chance, check out the restaurant scene. Thessal on the Moor is the best restaurant in the city. Contre, interjected the customs official next to her, a young woman with a severe bun and small gold earrings. Probably the world, their customs official agreed. Oh, right then, Sal said, feeling oddly uncomfortable with this sudden endorsement. They walked out of the customs area and into the terminal. 
Do we have a sense of what we will be dealing with? Sal asked as they walked. I'm starting to think I do. Father Hunter was convinced it was benevolent magic. The orb wasn't clear on the perceived threat, which is one reason I wanted to deal with this as independently as possible. If we can just shut it down before the team finds out, that would be best. You're saying we don't really have a plan. That is what I'm saying, Asante said, hefting her bag higher on her shoulder. We should have at least brought Grace, Sal said. I don't have any weapons. If it's good magic, then you shouldn't need weapons, Asante said. They stepped out into the cool Glasgow afternoon and looked for the taxi line. Each cab sat idling, each of them advertising the same restaurant on their doors. Purple, lavender, and black letters welcomed visitors to Glasgow and suggested they try Thistle on the Moor restaurant. This Thistle place is kind of prominent, Sal said. Asante pursed her lips and nodded. They got into the lead cab, and Asante gave the cabbie the address. That's a popular part of the city, the cabbie said. Got the best restaurant there. Thistle on the Moor? Sal asked, taking a shot in the dark. Oh, you've heard of it. He turned in his seat, causing the cab to swerve slightly. The food is legendary. I'd suggest that you go, but you need to book a few months ahead of time if you want a table. I got a message a reservation for our anniversary. Thirty years next November, he said proudly, turning back to face the road. That's great. Congratulations, Sal said, looking out the window. They passed a bus, upon which an ad for Thistle on the Moor beckoned her to visit. Be careful, though. The reservation system ain't respected by everyone, and people line up every night hoping to grab themselves a table. The line usually ends up in a fight, the cabbie said, cutting off the bus and causing the bus driver to blow her horn. Every night? A fight in front of this restaurant? Sal asked, turning back to him. Pretty much, yeah, he said. And this isn't a big deal? Where are the police? That time of night? They're usually in line for Thurston on the Moor. Sal sighed and looked at Asante. I'm going to take a wild guess here and say that Father Hunter's niece is a chef, and that the business she lives above is a restaurant, and that the restaurant is Thistle on the Moor. And now we know where the beneficial magic is going. Asante nodded grimly. Your assumptions are correct. I had hoped it was simply a good restaurant, but now I am thinking otherwise. A good restaurant with limitless marketing funds? Come on, Asante. When I searched for Glasgow online, Yelp reviews for Thistle on the Moor were the top hits. There's some serious manipulation to pull people into this restaurant, and it's getting bigger. It's going global now. Nightly fights? The more people that come to this restaurant, the more violent it's going to get. This sorcerer's apprentice, Asante whispered. It's wonderful when magic can be used to drum up business, but no restaurant can handle feeding the world when it tries to knock the door down. Scalpel in a toddler's hands. Sal said, truly understanding the meaning. Now that her hypothesis was said, Sal could see the influence of the magic everywhere. People wore primarily shades of purple, lavender, and black, and any public advertising space was for Thistle on the Moor, except for a Glen Fittish billboard currently being covered by a Thistle on the Moor ad. You're in luck. It's not open yet, so the street ain't closed, the cabbie said, pulling up to the curb on a corner where a line had begun forming. The traffic usually starts locking up about an hour before the restaurant opens, and driving through here is a nightmare. Good luck, and try not to get caught in the riots. Riots? Don't the cops do anything? I think they would close the restaurant if it's causing that many problems, Sal said in disbelief. 
Shut it down. It's the best restaurant in the country, the cabbie said, acting as if she had suggested canceling Christmas. He retrieved their bags and put them on the curb. Have a lovely visit, ladies, and do try Thessal on the moor if you can. It's a nice part of the city, if very busy. But don't come to this part of the city unless I'm trying to get into the restaurant. And how often is that? Asante asked. Oh, about every other night, he said. He tipped his cap and pointed at a healing scratch over his eye. Got that the other night after the fight started. But one person with reservations got sent to the hospital and I got his table. His eyes gleamed with excitement. That's great, Sal said with forced enthusiasm. Thanks for the advice. She paid the cabbie who grinned widely at her, gallantly tipping his hat again. Sal grabbed both of their bags from the sidewalk and put one over each shoulder. I'm glad you thought to exchange some money at the airport, Sal said. I didn't know some cabbies didn't take plastic. I think we're a block away from the restaurant in Father Hunter's apartment. Asante led the way across the street so they didn't have to push through the hungry crowd. The crowds were indeed getting thicker on the sidewalk. One block down from where they had come in, the police were in the process of cutting off the street entirely because the sidewalk foot traffic had begun to spill into the streets. Their cab had only just been able to squeeze in before cops put up barriers. Looks like we got here right in time, Sal said. The guy wasn't kidding. Nor about the popularity of the restaurant, Asante said, pointing across the street. Thistle on the Moor was a tiny restaurant, with glass windows facing the street on two floors. Thistles had been painted on the glass, but they were starting to wear in some places from people touching the windows and leaning to get a better look inside. It was on the corner of a block of shops, but every other shop around was closed. An alley ran along the right side of the building. You'd think they would close down for a death in the family, Sal said. If Father Hunter was as close to his niece as you say he was, shouldn't she be in mourning or something? Not if the magic is driving her to keep it open, Asante said. And it's pretty tiny for so many advertisements. This is starting to make sense. Sal and Asante stood on the side of the crowded street opposite the restaurant. Sal shook her head at the throng of excited people. Having worldwide ads for a tiny restaurant is beneficial magic, she asked. This is beneficial like eating cake for every meal is beneficial. Her opinion of Asante's mentor was falling rapidly, but she wasn't going to talk to Asante about that right now. Asante pulled out her phone. I'll give his niece a call to see if she's there or taking time off. Sal wondered what a harried hostess would do if the chef demanded that she juggle the reservations to accommodate a family friend. Asante smiled when she heard the voice at the other end of the phone. It made her voice sound friendlier, even though her eyes grew cold. Hello, Mary Alice. It's Asante. Yes, lovely to talk to you too, dear. Yes, in fact, I just got into the country for the funeral. Will you be having a wake? She paused and allowed the woman on the other end to talk. The funeral for your uncle, Father Hunter? Sal looked at Asante, startled. Mary Alice had forgotten about her uncle's death? I see, Asante continued. And your restaurant remains open? Don't you think you need time to mourn? You should really take some days off. Sal could hear sobs coming from the other end, but couldn't make out any words. Of course this is what he would have wanted. I completely understand. But since you're not closing and I'm in town, would you happen to have a table open for two? 
I've heard wonderful things about your restaurant and would love to visit. You can find some room for me and my friend, can't you? At the bar tomorrow night? That would be just fine. Thank you so much. Asante put the phone back into her large purse. Her smile had faded completely. Yes, she's been possessed. We must figure out what's going on before we move on her. Let's get to the hotel before this crowd gets bigger, suggested Sal. We can get some rest and deal with this tomorrow. You are listening to Book Burners. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Are you the type to trust your gut, fight for what's right, and maybe even act on impulse from time to time? Then you are my kind of people. And as luck would have it, I've got just the show for you. I'm Faith McQuinn, the host of Epic, your new HQ for Realm's most exhilarating action and adventure stories. In Epic, you'll embark on your greatest adventure yet. Maybe it's crash landing on a desolate planet with only an AI embedded in your head to guide you. Or maybe it's realizing that your latest game design is the only thing staving off total global annihilation. You know you don't want to miss a single episode of these gripping stories, so unsheath those earbuds, clench that steering wheel, and buckle up because Epic is about to take off. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Amal El-Motar, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by Exe Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith and additional editing by Corey Barton and Brooks Ewald. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Osadolahi. Find more shows like Bookburners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. <laughs>